Finding with briars my joys and desires. A Good Omens Podfig, written by Entangled Now and Nero Moreau, and read by Job. Chapter 2 Much like every night, Aziraphale goes to bed early. The day has brought no gifts from Crowley, and he almost doesn't want to admit to himself how much that fact sits uncomfortably at the back of his mind. The break in the routine has worry growing between Aziraphale's ribs, and he has to consider that perhaps Crowley grew tired of this exchange. When he closes his eyes, smashing his face on a pillow, he does his best to ignore the way his stomach tightens at the idea of not hearing from Crowley ever again. Maybe he's rushing to conclusions. Sleep seems the best way to avoid giving his brain more fodder for far-fetched assumptions, or letting it fuss about what's surely a perfectly rational stop in the stream of gifts. He turns the lamp off and tries to relax, to coax sleep into coming. Who knows, perhaps he'll be able to see Crowley in his dreams again. Aziraphi realizes he must have fallen asleep when he startles awake with a jolt. Night is still sprawled gently outside, and the velvet quietness is only broken by a soft rhythmic patter against what sounds like glass. He quickly checks more closely his bedroom's windows, but the glass is clear, and there's no sign of anything knocking against it. It's odd, to say the least. His house is too far away from any grown tree to assume its loose branches causing the noise. Aziraphale pets out to the landing, trying to follow the sound that seems to come from further in the house. He heads down the stairs, through the main hall, until he's standing next to the window furthest south. Silver moonlight streams in through sheer curtains, and when he pulls the material aside, a surprised gasp escapes him. He blinks a few times at the side outside the window, at the small, dirty shape struggling to keep its weight from collapsing down, while patting at the glass with tiny hands. Crowley! Those amber eyes flash strangely when they fix on Aziraphale. Some sort of reproachful gleam in them, under a deep frown. Quickly, Aziraphale slides the window open, as an obvious invitation for his new friend to come in if he wants. Even under the dull, insufficient light, Aziraphale can see clearly he is some sort of sticky, dark fluid all over Crowley's beautiful wings, about the slender length of his torso and over his hair. He can't identify the source, though. Oh, my dear, what happened to you? Crowley stumbles into Aziraphale's house, the movement of his wings clumsy and disjointed much different from that first time Aziraphale had seen him flying out of that trap. It's evident that Crowley can't currently fly well, if at all. Would you let me help you? 
Without giving it much thought, Zivafil offers his open palms as a latch out of concern. It really seems Crowley won't reach very much farther by his own means. It's only when Crowley lands on his hands after a wobbly flutter, kneeling as if trying to catch his breath, that Zivafil considers if perhaps this interaction is crossing some boundary. They've never touched before. They've never even held a conversation in this reality. And suddenly, here Aziraphale is, with the entire beautiful weight of Crowley resting on his fingers. Very much bare, as always. He feels warm and alive. Aziraphale ignores the splash of heat on his cheeks. Crowley is clearly in distress, and he deserves to be treated as gently as possible. What a state you're in, he offers gently, the edge of his thumb sliding across the liquid that covers him and finding its leg, leaving dark brown stains on his own skin. The smell of it is now more obvious with Crowley held in his hands. Is this engine oil? The thought is horrifying. Those beautiful wings are stained and spattered with it. One arch is almost bent over under the weight. No wonder he had trouble flying with such heavy liquid on him. And the streams and rivers of the wild would be no help at all in trying to get it off. I fell in a puddle. Crowley says plaintively, shifting slightly so one of his small hands can rest on the curve of Aziraphale's thumb. He can feel the faintest pressure from tiny, sharp fingers. They've been fixing storm damage in the woods. I came out when the trucks left, but I didn't spot the mess they'd left behind. I thought it was a dirty mud puddle at first. It's clear how offended he is in the tone of his voice. How awful! He looks so terribly bedraggled, Aziraphale can't imagine how he'd got into his garden, never mind climbed all the way up the wall in his condition. Crowley pats desperately at his hair, only making his hands dirtier in the process. The rest of him has fared just as badly. He looks as if he might have attempted to clean himself off, before realizing he was only making it worse. I couldn't fly. I'm lucky I stink, or I might have been eaten by a cheeky fox or an owl. Oh, they wouldn't dare, surely. Aziraphale can't imagine Crowley wouldn't be smart enough to spot them coming, or crafty enough to escape. Crowley offers a cheeky grin, his oil-smeared cheeks pulled wide at the word of confidence. Before he seems to remember his current predicament. I don't know anyone else, not like you. How do I get this off? He makes two fists and bangs them against his knees, sending droplets raining down on Aziraphale's hand.
I'm afraid the water needs to be hot. Not too hot. Aziraphale corrects himself at Crowley's frightened look. A bit of warm water and a good soaping and shampooing should get you clean. Crowley's golden eyes are wide. He considers his hands. Will you help? He pulls himself up to his knees, shuffling a little across Aziraphale's palm, his oily wings dragging a dark line across Aziraphale's cupped fingers. With the soaping and shampooing? The soaping and shampooing, Aziraphale repeats, a little thrown by the suggestion. He considers the small man in his hands, looking up at him with a pleading expression. No longer a dream, but a real, live fairy in his home, in his hands, asking for his help. He's quite sure he's not dreaming, but this all feels so very surreal. I can't fly home like this. Crowley continues, as if he's taking a Zerofield surprise as a need to be convinced. That's too far. I'm grounded and not fit to call myself a fairy. Of course I want to help, Zerofield hurries to reassure him. Though I think my bathtub is a bit too big for you, to be honest. I can't imagine you can swim, not with the wings. Crowley wails, a theatrical sound which nonetheless leaves Aziraphale a little heartsick for him. I'll be kicked out, not fit to live in a brownie hole with the brownies, he says miserably. Aziraphale finds himself gently patting a small shoulder, reminded again that his new friend is a living, breathing creature a magical being he'd invited into his home. You won't have to live with the brownies, Crowley. It's only the second time he said the name out loud, but he no longer has any doubt that it is the fairy's name. I think I have a large casserole dish in the kitchen somewhere that might do as a makeshift bath for you so you don't get lost. He carefully carries Crowley into the bathroom, setting him down on the sink while he turns on the light and washes the oil off his hands so he can collect soap and shampoo. You have this whole room just for getting clean? Crowley marvels, twisting around so he can pull faces at his grubby reflection in the mirror. And they call us vain. His wings lift behind him, and he makes a sad noise at the state of them, as if seeing for the first time how the oil has ruined their shape and their beautiful red colouring. It's all right. We'll have you clean in no time. Aziraphale has always been good at distracting himself with mundane tasks in a crisis though he's not sure anyone would consider teaching a fairy how to take a bath in any way mundane. Wait 
there for just a moment, and I'll find you a fairy-sized path. Crowley kicks his dirty legs, expression all interest, while Aziraphale goes to retrieve the casserole dish he'd seen in the back cupboard. It's an entire hand deep and covered in painted flowers. It will do well enough. Really, it's a good job that Crowley isn't afraid of him, or he might never have found the courage to come here. He might have still been out there in the forest, wandering dirty and cold. He shuts off that train of thought and hurries back with the dish. He sets it down on the floor while the tap water warms, then reaches up for Crowley, coaxing the fairy back onto his hand so he can bring him to the tiled floor. Crowley watches over the side and scurled around the lap as Aziraphale carefully fills the thing using the cup he keeps his toothbrush in. The trick is, you get inside the warm water and you rub at your skin with this. Aziraphale digs a nail into the soap, carving out a chunk which he judges Crowley could hold in his hands. You might have to do it a few times. Oil is very stubborn. The offered soap is squeezed and sniffed, and then licked, much to Crowley's clear regret. I'm going to taste awful, he makes a face. It will put off the nighttime foragers, at least. Aziraphale is starting to suspect that Crowley has nothing to fear from the wildlife, but he seems to enjoy Aziraphale worrying about him. The smell doesn't linger, he reassures the small fay, and you'll be very clean. He retrieves one of the small travel-sized bottles of shampoo from the cabinet, though it's still much bigger than Crowley could possibly lift. This is shampoo, and it's special soap made for hair, since you can't use the other one on hair. He squeezes a tiny bit into Crowley's palm, so it can get the same treatment as the soap. Though he seems to like the smell of this one better. I have hair on my body, Crowley points out. Will it fall out if I'm soaping it? No, it might be a little drier, though. Crowley considers all the new knowledge Aziraphale has given him, hopefully not too much of it. Crowley seems more focused and interested than fairies are supposed to be, being mostly depicted as flighty things with no attention span at all, prone to following only their own whims and desires. You have a lot of tubes and bottles to get you clean and make you smell like things, Crowley says dubiously, as if reading something nefarious into it. Aziraphale has to give him that. Yes, I suppose we do. Terribly stinky creatures we must be. He moves the casserole dish between them. I think it's ready. Put your hand in to check the temperature first. 
I wouldn't want to burn you. Aziraphale draws him closer to the dish, and Crowley sinks one tiny hand into the water, humming in delight. Snice. He hikes himself up the side and throws his legs over, before sliding into the small, improvised bathtub with a sigh of contentment. I don't get to wash with warm water, unless it's the height of the summer. Oh, well, I have plenty of warm water to offer, if that's something you enjoy. Aziraphale watches rapidly the way Crowley sinks slowly into the tub, his legs stretched long. The bottom edge of his wings brush the water, and he adjusts his position in such a manner that they curl over the lip and then fall down the edge of the dish. Okay, so now what? he asks. I would start with the soap, Aziraphale offers. Tackle one problem at a time. Crowley nods and tries to rub the soap over the length of his chest and thighs, but the small piece keeps slipping from his fingers. He huffs annoyance before trying again, but the fact that he's still keeping the small amount of shampoo in one open palm leaves him with a single free hand. The small chunk of soap slides down his calf and into the bottom of the pot. I can't do this. It feels as if I have butter on my fingers. Crowley turns bleeding eyes to Aziraphale. Would you please help me? I, uh, Aziraphale did us. Perhaps it would be the best solution. Of course. Crowley gives a small, pleased smile. It feels slightly transgressive to think Aziraphale is going to touch him in such a way. He's never bathed anyone else. He's never even showered with someone else. In the long years of adulthood and during the messy grind of relationships, Aziraphale had never allowed certain barriers to be stripped away. It had been easier, safer somehow. He knows that this is far from the same scenario, but the idea of touching Crowley's bare skin has some sort of warm tingle spreading up his spine. But the fairy needs him, which is a statement he's still reconciling with. The fact that fantasy has blundered so beautifully into his life. Aziraphale soaps three fingers with a bar of soap he'd left at one side of the top. You can rinse your hands, he tells Crowley. I'll rub the soap on you, and you can wash it away. Sounds good. Crowley's legs seem to have taken the worst part, and his feet are positively brown-black. I'll start with your legs. Is that okay? Crowley nods softly. Yeah, that's fine. Carefully using his middle and forefingers, Aziraphale slathers soap over the smooth stretch of a calf, encouraging Crowley to bend his leg at the knee 
and then lifting it to spread the soap over one finely boned foot. Aziraphale can feel how Crowley's stretched leg shifts as he works the softness of the bubbles upwards, taking off the oil. Is everything all right? Crowley's stained cheeks are flushed. It tickles. Oh, yes, I, I suppose it might feel a bit like that. Aziraphale's words are starting to crash as he coaxes Crowley to set his leg down and the pads of his own fingers skim up to the narrow warmth of a thigh. Aziraphale's face flames when the tip of his pinky finger falls in the open spread of Crowley's legs. So close to his sex. He immediately corrects the movement, focusing on flexing his own fingers out of any wrong band. I'll do the other one now, he says. Okay. Crowley's voice is thin and thready, but he lifts the other leg out of the water with obvious eagerness. Aziraphale repeats the motions over that leg, his thigh, half, foot. He tries not to think about how soft Crowley's skin feels under the sliding stroke of his fingers, or about the intimacy of letting himself be dragged into the orbit of Crowley's off-rhythm breathing, mimicking it himself without realizing. He lifts his fingers off when he sees Crowley's legs are no clean. It feels wrong to feel like this, but he can't deny how lovely Crowley is, fairy or not. Aziraphale shoves the thought away. I'm done. Is everything all right? Aziraphale focuses on Crowley's face, on the small pinched frown, and the wet tip of her tongue sliding across red lips. Yeah, it's just... Crowley shakes his head. I think I can try now myself. Oh, it's the sensible thing to do. Of course. Having learned what to do, Crowley picks the small chunk of soap from where it had sunk between his legs and drops it across his arms, and then his torso. I'll gather water for you to rinse, Aziraphale says, opening the tap and filling the cup he'd used before. The strange, straining heat that had spread within him has dissipated already with the routine motions. Be careful with your face, though. Crony, who's just pushing a soapy hand up his cheek, stops. Why? Soap can burn in contact with the eyes, Aziraphale explains. The same as shampoo. Ugh, Crowley huffs an amused laugh. Figured, smelling so pretty, there had to be a catch. Aziraphale waits for Crowley to finish with his face, before offering the cup of water for him to rinse. Thanks, Crowley says. I feel more like myself, without liters of oil on me. I told you it wasn't so bad, Aziraphale says fondly. 
using tiny hands to cup water, Crowley streams it over his face and body. Yeah, well, says you, the one who's actually clean. The only problem now seems to be the previously flame-coloured hair that's now clumped together in chunks. Would you help me with the hair? Crowley asks, fixing those big, soft eyes on him. Aziraphale smiles. He suspects the whole act of looking defenseless is something Crowley has perfected through time. Of course, but don't move so the shampoo won't reach your eyes. Yes, yes, the horror of the shampoo, he bemoans. You told me how dreadful it is. Aziraphale applies a dollop of shampoo to his finger, and rubs it over Crowley's hair. He seems to like it, if his hum of delight is anything to go by. We may need to wash it twice, Aziraphale explains. It's very sticky. Sure, whatever you think is best. Crowley's shoulders sag when Aziraphale flops back the swath of red hair plastered to his forehead, as if pleased, relaxed, Aziraphale thinks. He can barely believe that after that silent exchange of gifts, he finally has Crowley here in his house, tangible in his magical edges. Aziraphale considers if he should thank him for all the little souvenirs left at his doorstep. It had been the genuine highlight of his life recently. Still, he's not sure exactly how to bring it up, whether it's something that's supposed to remain unspoken between them. He recalls that Brownie Law forbids a direct reference to any work they do around the house and will result in them leaving entirely. Is it possible that it's the same with gifts from the Fae? Aziraphale can't say nothing, though. Not when their dance has meant so much to him. Not when it has brought so many lovely things to a doorstep. The reassurance that Crowley was still out there somewhere, thinking of him in turn. Was it foolish of him to be warned by that? To hope that it meant something? He rolls a slow circle on the back of Crowley's head, watching dirty streaks of foam fall free, the colour of his hair starting to reassert itself. I have very much enjoyed the things you've left in the garden, he tries. He hopes that leaving off the for me won't draw attention to the fact that they were meant as gifts. The wings, still draped outside the dish, give a brief shiver, and the soapy length of Crowley's neck seems perhaps a touch more red than it had been before. The reminder of the offerings they'd left for each other had definitely caused a reaction. You did? There's a curiosity to the words, and a quiet sort of pleasure but also something soft and uncertain. 
as if perhaps his gifts hadn't been simple trinkets left to amuse Aziraphale, but something more thought out, a bit to impress him, perhaps. Tokens of affection in their own way, though the thought threatens to have him blushing as well. Either way, he clearly wants to hear about it, and Aziraphale sighs relief. Stops holding the words he'd been desperate to say. I have loved every one of them. I can't imagine where you found them all. Hunting them out must have been quite an adventure. The Roman coin you gave me was almost two thousand years old, and I have no idea how you found so many tiny unbroken shells. You must have been so careful with them. It helps when you have small fingers, Crowley offers. His soapy head is now turned back over his shoulder, so as Eurofield can see one amber eye and a streak of shampoo down his nose. The strange, not quite iridescence of his skin is just visible beneath the glistening wetness. Clever fingers, I have no doubt, Aziraphale tells him, much to his obvious delight. Tip your head back a little and close your eyes, so I can rinse you. Crowley does, as he's told, the gentle arc of his face so trusting that Aziraphale feels it in his chest. Crowley is so tiny compared to him, and yet he no longer seems afraid. Though this must be a strange and unfamiliar environment for him. Aziraphale pours a cup of warm water carefully over the back of his head, watching streaks of foam wash down his back, the vivid shine of his hair showing through. Aziraphale strokes water out of it with a finger, strangely entranced by the warmth of Crowley's scarf. The softness of his neck. One more should do it, he says in a voice gone a touch hoarse. The realization that he's really and truly bathing a fairy in his bathroom will not quite stick, no matter how hard he tries. He tips the bottle again while Crowley pets at his wet thighs, the skin glossy under the warm water in a way that seems to draw attention to how very naked the fairy has been all along. He watches Crowley's toes flex and wriggle while he works shampoo into his hair again, the gentle strolling motions to get the liquid good and lathered before he rinses it out. It's becoming rather obvious that the only part of Crowley left to wash are his oil-streaked wings, which are currently leaving dirty pools and smears on the towel he'd put down beneath the dish that was serving as a makeshift bath. But Aziraphale is still so nervous to touch them. He doesn't know how fragile they are or how sensitive. Arms and legs are easy, he has two of each himself. He's rather out of his element with the strongest evidence of Crowley's non-human nature outside his eyes. They stretch out from his back, magical, 
moth-like, the faintest dust visible beneath the dark coating. Fairy wings. How does he even ask? He doesn't know how wet they can be allowed to get, or if he'll damage them without knowing. If he's too rough and injures them, he would never forgive himself. Forgive me, he says at last, because he has to say something, and plunging ahead seems the best course of action. I don't know how fragile your wings are, or if they can go under the water. I'd understand if you want to take care of them yourself. Crowley's legs stuck underneath him, and he turns in the dish, his clean shoulders and chest sinking a little deeper as those dirty wings draw over the lip and half lower into the water with him. They shiver gently, sending ripples across the surface and popping what bubbles remain. Wet doesn't hurt them, he says with a cheeky grin. You won't do them any harm unless you tuck or pull. In fact, they like a bit of attention if you're gentle. A smile goes sharp at the edges. I expect you're a bit jealous too, not having a set of your own. Crowley crosses his tiny arms over his chest. In exchange for this lovely bath you have given me, I think I shall let you pet them a little, see what they feel like, how nicely they spread and flutter when they're clean. You don't know any better, but I have some of the most lovely wings for miles around. Well, they are most certainly the most beautiful wings I've ever seen, Aziraphale says, because it's true. And I would be honored. Crowley claps wet hands, laughing when he gets sprayed by his own enthusiasm, before turning and gently lifting and spreading the oil-damaged wings as well as he can. One top wing is coated so thickly it's folded in and clearly can't move very well at all. A lower wing is heavier on one side than the other, hastily cleaned by dirty hands, to little effect that Aziraphale can see. Crowley gives Aziraphale a coy look over his shoulder. This streak of fame mischief, with his slippery naked skin, and blatant offer to lay his clumsy human fingers on his moth-like wings to gently return them to their stunning former beauty. He hopes that he can. And don't spare the soap, Crowley tells him. Aziraphale smiles to himself, watching Crowley tilt his proud head and angle to allow Aziraphale better access to his wings. Despite Crowley's words that they are resistant enough to fare a grooming session well, Aziraphale decides to be infinitely careful. They feel gossamer thin and crumple under the slightest touch. He thinks maybe soap won't be enough to clean them, and he decides to use shampoo. Using a small bit of it, 
Aziraphale finally dares to ease a finger over the top wing that holds most of the oil. Crowley shivers when Aziraphale rubs the filth off, following a pattern that goes from the inside of the wing, touching the stretch of Crowley's skin, to the outer part. The oil falls in heavy drops to the water below, while Aziraphale keeps his motion steady, feeling the powdery softness of Crowley's wings in the tip of his fingers. It's like nothing he's anticipated before. Entirely impossible. Infinitely beautiful to be given the opportunity to get a taste of magic. Those wings are like the runoff of a dream chased into reality. The silence seems to curl and mix with a gentle splash of water, probably coming from Crowley, idly playing with it. There's a soft, pleased sigh when Aziraphale's place his entire palm to cover the left part of Crowley's top and bottom wings, spreading the shampoo all over, now that the oil is gone. It's clear that he's enjoying the wash, if the high, thready breaths or the loosened angle of his back is anything to go by. Permission or not, Aziraphale can't avoid thinking it's a bit invasive of him to enjoy caring for the fairy, and he tries to shake off his thoughts. He decides perhaps now is a good time to prod Crowley for some answers that have assaulted Aziraphale in the past, as a way to pave a bit more the road of their uncommon friendship. Crowley? Yeah? Can I ask you something? Crowley snorts. You mean, aside from the thing you just asked me? Well, yes. You'd make a terrible fairy, Crowley declares, a bit haughty. What a way to blunder yourself with words. Ask away. Aziraphale decides not to take offense at that, because it's probably true. He rinses the left side of Crowley's wings, focusing on the right. Well, I was wondering what exactly you were doing to end up trapped where I found you. Aziraphale can see a spread of red modeling down Crowley's long neck. Um, I, um, I was trying to set free an idiotic butterfly that was flying too low. Oh, but you succeeded, didn't you? Course I did. Crowley keens when Aziraphale touches the span of the top right wing in small circles. It makes Aziraphale's cheeks warm. I had never thought butterflies could get trapped as well. He rushes out in one quick breath. Yeah, well, they are very pretty, but stupid as rocks, if you ask me. The matter-of-fact statement draws a laugh from Aziraphale. It feels like he's stepping into a reality that is no longer his own. Even though he supposes that it is, it's a word that belongs to both of them, despite their differences. Wasn't it dangerous? Aziraphale asks. 
No, not really, Crowley says, breathy through his teeth, while Aziraphale repeats the motion of pressing the whole of his hand over the spanning splay of his right wings. I mean, dear, you ended up quite trapped, Aziraphale points out softly. A mere inconvenience. Aziraphale rinses the wings, admiring the shimmering color, the crimson dapple amidst the black. What would have happened if I hadn't released you, I wonder? With his hands still on Crowley, Aziraphale can't help but notice the stiffness of his shoulders at the question. I would have figured it out eventually. Crowley says, was tight. Oh, yes, I suppose. Aziraphale brushes an idle finger over the curve of a wing. I mean, I suppose your court would have come to help you, right? Crowley turns quick like a whip, sloshing foamy, stained water out of the dish. What is it to you? He almost snarls. All semblance of fairy softness gone. That's none of your bloody business. Aziraphale blinks back, faced with what's clearly an onslaught of anger, thinking perhaps he wasn't supposed to ask anything about Crowley's court. Was that it? I'm sorry, he says. Until now, he hadn't realized how steep the differences were between them. Habits, culture, the insurmountable hill of fantasy roads. Still, Aziraphale doesn't want to see his small friend leave. I'm very sorry, he repeats. I just assumed. Well, there's your problem. Don't. Worst thing ever, assuming. The words come out sibilant in Crowley's fury. For a moment, Aziraphale feels at a loss for words. It's clear he's offended Crowley somehow, and quite badly. But the worst part is that he doesn't have a clear idea why or how. He does what he thinks is the only sensible thing to do. I'm sorry, dear. I didn't mean to offend you. Crowley still has his tiny arms crossed over his chest, looking up at him with a deep frown. Aziraphale tries to think about the situation as if he was just another friend, and comes to the conclusion perhaps he could offer Crowley something of his own to appease him. Perhaps I could tempt you to a glass of wine, to leave this impasse behind us? Crowley arches a sharp brow. Wine? Oh, yes, I have quite a good one waiting for me. I'd be happy to open it for you. He grabs a towel and spreads it over his hands, offering them to Crowley one more time. Would you like to try it? He hadn't expected to share the bottle with anyone. He so rarely has visitors here. But if it can help to soothe Crowley's temper and his hurt feelings, then it will be more than worth it.
I've never had people wine, Crowley offers at last. Aziraphy thinks the begrudging edge to his voice is faint. The curiosity seems genuine, though. Well, then, I shall be happy to share a glass, or, I suppose, in your case, perhaps a thimble with you. Crowley jots a small chin out, considering the offer. Then he sets both hands on the side of the bath and hefts himself out, his body streaming water. His skin is a little pink from the heat and silky-looking, the faint iridescence catching the light and drawing the eye. A fluttering shiver of his wings showers tiny droplets across the Zerofield's shirt and his bathroom cabinet. But he says nothing while Crowley picks up a corner of the towel he's holding and pats himself dry. In a way, that seems to involve an awful lot of bending and stretching and fussing over himself. Flaunting, someone might say. Aziraphale decides the sensible course of action would be to stop looking. I'll just go and open the bottle, then. Do you want to join me in the kitchen, or would you rather the living room? I don't want you to catch a chill. Fly through the woods at night, in case you've forgotten, Crowley reminds him. This place is all sorts of cozy. Aziraphale heads for the kitchen, finding the bottle he tucked away in the larder. He retrieves a glass for himself and then spends a moment fishing in his drawer of odds and ends. He's sure there's a metal symbol in there somewhere, though it will be more of a pinned glass to Crowley, so he'll have to be careful how he pours. He imagines fairy wine must be quite potent, though, with all sorts of strange and magical ingredients. Instead of going back to the bathroom, he follows the odd sounds coming from the living room, only to find Crowley has opened his record player and is levering the arm up and down. Oh, that's very delicate. It will break quite easily, he warns him. Crowley gives him a look, but lets it sink down again. It's for music, isn't it? How does it work? Aziraphale, delighted that Crowley is still willing to engage with him, leans down to find a record the fairy might like and encourages him to step back so he can put it in place. He switches it on and the arm swings round to settle on the vinyl. The grooves in the record are the many different sounds in a song. They tell the machine what to play and how fast. The intro plays, the sounds building gradually. Crowley is still crouched at the edge of the machine, his tiny brows furrowed, his fists clenched. Do you like it? Aziraphale asks again, aware that there's still an attention to him. The song isn't stolen. Crowley asks suddenly. The people who sung it originally, they can still sing. 
Fukushima will absorbs the implications behind that rather troubling question, saying nothing for a moment as he tries to find the right words. They can still sing, he reassures them. They make lots of different songs and copies are made for other people to enjoy. This is one of them. I have many different songs all sung for people to enjoy in their own homes. Crony nods. In that case, I like it. Aziraphale sets down the glass and thimble, pours Crowley the smallest spill in his golden cup. The fairy comes to join him at the table, lifting the thimble in both hands and sniffing curiously, before lifting it enough to stick his tongue inside. It's sharp, bitter, he proclaims, like the memory of fruit long dead. He sticks his tongue inside again, a curiously long thing it is, and oddly flexible. It's pretty good. Aziraphale pours half a glass for himself, watches Crowley finally tip the thing to his mouth and swallow. What's fairy wine like? Aziraphale asks. Fairy wine. Crowley clips the words out. Honey sweet, fizzy on the tongue. You see all the colors in the sky, or none, depending what your eyes are like. Is it quite strong? Crowley sets the thimble down in the space between his crossed legs, his wings shivering and then pulling still, folding down his back. Depends what you mean by strong. It's not poison, though it'll stay with you till morning, assuming you stop drinking it, and it makes you laugh so hard sometimes your ears hurt. Aziraphale watches Crowley drink for a moment, amused by the way he wipes his mouth with the back of his hand when he gets too enthusiastic. I confess I'm not sure which topics are safe to ask about, if there are rules or things you'd rather not go into. Aziraphale lets his wine settle back on the table. I would very much like to talk to you, but I don't want to offend. Crowley taps his nails against the cup. You can ask, he says at last. I'd say no if I don't want to talk about it. Aziraphale feels somewhat reassured by that, but decides that perhaps avoiding the topic of Crowley's home and his fellow fay might be the best for a while. Instead, he asks what Crowley likes to do in the long summer days, what sort of adventures he has, and Crowley takes a moment to share a fairly long tale of how he got caught stealing honey and had to flee an entire hive. He makes it through his thimble of wine, and Zeraphil pours him another when he raises it, his mouth laughing. He realizes a little too late that perhaps fairy wine is not the most potent after all. And Herstorthium, ugh, mouse testicle that he is, 
told me I was not to leave the bounds, as if I was newly bloomed and hadn't the sense of a seed pot. I left. Of course I did. They didn't kick me out. I left on my own. The thimble is hugged angrily to his chest, the inside swishing until his ear of here can see wine swirling at the edges. I left on my own. The song on the record player has ended, but this time a zero fear doesn't get up to replace it. I saw things they pretend do not exist. I saw the gnawing in the old wood that no one speaks of, and I was forbidden from returning. This is not a place for you, Crowley, they said. They don't want people to ask or to know. They just want you to dance and to trick the mortals and to never ever change for thousands, thousands. He's quiet for a moment before angrily lifting his thimble again. Are you quite sure you haven't had enough? The Zebrafil asks. I didn't realize it would be so strong for you. I am an underdweller of the unseenly. I can hold my drink, mortal. The pronouncement is ruined somewhat by a sway and a burp. The thimble, which is not even empty, is jiggered in his direction. More. That seems like a terrible idea. Half a glass for both of us, Zirafir decides, since you're flying home and it's almost morning for me. Crowley scouts, but concedes, the third thimble of wine serving to plane the edges of his anger, only to eventually leave him teary-eyed and heartbroken. Was I supposed to do? Beesbell and Bligger were in charge, and I got in trouble anyway. I was just curious. I just wanted to know. No one would tell me, and so I went myself. They expected me to just rejoin the dance, like none of it was real. Too afraid to interrupt, Aziraphir gives Crowley a hanky, which he merely hugs to him like a blanket. The wine will definitely be safer back in the kitchen, Aziraphir decides. He recorks it and carries it out while Crowley continues to give a rambling account of the first time he'd gotten lost in the forest because Beesbell gave him the wrong directions. Aziraphale is aware very suddenly that Crowley isn't just a fantastic magical being, but a living, breathing fairy with a life of his own, a history, memories of friends and family, that hurt just as well as Aziraphale's own do sometimes. It's quite on the way back to the living room, and the reason soon becomes obvious when Aziraphale discovers Crowley fast asleep on the wooden table. The poor thing had most likely worn himself out dragging up painful memories, probably half against his will. Aziraphale sighs, then very carefully lifts his small houseguest and carries him upstairs to the spare bedroom. To be continued in Chapter 3